Bible this morning, turn with me uh, to the book of Hebrews, and let's go to chapter 10. We want to look at verses 1 through 10 this morning. And, and I want you to listen to the topic, uh, one sacrifice or many sacrifices. When we come to Hebrews chapter 10, uh, probably uh, one of the most powerful chapters in this area, as we've been looking at the conclusion, uh, we're coming towards the end of Hebrews, and, and it's going to be uh, continued this position of the animal sacrifices. It was temporal. It could only go so far. And they needed the complete sacrifice, which is Christ. Now here in Hebrews chapter 10, God brings forth direction by the Spirit of God. He sets himself to show the Levitical time of the Old Testament law, the dispensation in the Old Testament. For though it was a divine appointment, in other words, uh, God uh, spoke his law to Moses. Moses spoke the law to the people. The law was excellent and useful in its time and place, yet when it was set up in contrast or competition with Christ, it will not hold up to Jesus. The law was designed uh, to lead the people to the cross, the complete sacrifice in Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, the book of Hebrews it was proper and necessary to show the weakness and imperfection of the Old Testament law, which the Apostle Paul, which I believe is the writer, if not the Holy Spirit, does very effectively from several arguments as we have already studied. And so this morning, one sacrifice or many sacrifices. And again, I want to bring to your remembrance, remember that this letter, this book, this book of Hebrews is being written to Hebrew Christians. And approximately about four years from the time of the writing, 70 A.D., Titus and the Roman army would come in. It would level Jerusalem. It would topple over the temple. And the Jews would be scattered to the four corners of the world. And so imagine a Jew at this time. For them, the temple was everything. The animal sacrifices were everything. And now they have no temple. They have no city. They need to trust God. They have come to saving grace. And they need to rely upon this one sacrifice. Just as we have to rely upon this one sacrifice. And this morning, if you've not come to saving grace, the Bible teaches that today is the day of your salvation. And so we're going to get back into the animal sacrifices again. And so we begin here in Hebrews chapter 10, verses uh, 1 through 10. In verses 1 through 4 now, we're going to study about the animal sacrifices. It was insufficient, but it pointed us to the cross. It was temporal, these animal sacrifices. Remember, we shared so many times that the blood of the animals only covered the sin. In the Hebrew, the word was kofar. But they needed the complete blood of Christ. Look at verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect. We know that the animal sacrifices were made on the Day of Atonement for the sins of the nation of Israel. The high priest 
was making atonement for his own sin. And they would have to do this year after year. But it would never finish the job. It would never complete. The only completion was through Jesus Christ, the complete sacrifice. Now here in verse 1, the law was a picture of what was the good things to come. Now, what are the good things to come? It was the cross, Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven, and salvation through Christ Jesus. No other salvation. A shadow was an outline of the things to come. A shadow was not a complete, clear likeness of things to come. You could not compare the animal sacrifices that were many uh, to the one sacrifice, which is Christ Jesus. As we have mentioned many times in the past in the book of Hebrews, they offered these animal sacrifices year after year on the Day of Atonement, or we know it as Yom Kippur. It, it could never make anyone perfect or complete you. Only covered your sin. The same with those today that only attend church because it's an obligation. How many go to church throughout the United States of America because it's a Sunday morning ritual? I go because maybe I need to, you know, appease my wife or the wife needs to appease the husband. Sometimes the young people come with mom and dad because they want mom and dad to be happy. Well, I'll go because mom and dad want me to go. But we must come to church to seek the true and the living God. We must come to uh, learn of who died for us. And it was Christ that gave up his life that we might have life eternal. You see, church, Jesus has paid the full price. Too many times, even in our United States of America, I mean, we're considered a Christian nation. It's the thing that we do on Sunday morning. I remember when we would only go to church on Easter or Christmas. Or you would go to church because you want your kids to see you go to church. And so the question is always brought forth, have we accepted this complete sacrifice, which is Christ? And if we have not, today is the day of your salvation. And let's continue with the animal sacrifices. Look at verse 2 now. For then would they have not have ceased to be offered, these animal sacrifices. For the worshipers, once purified or cleansed, would have had no more consciousness of sin. This consciousness of sin is the guilt complex. Oh, I know I'm a sinner. You know you're a sinner. But have we come to the place of saving grace? You see, once I give my sin uh, to the Lord, then it removes that guilt process. And as I come and I study, I recognize, I realize that I'm under grace now. Unmerited favor. Oh, I deserve judgment, but God gives me his grace. Here in verse 2, again, the law was to point man to the cross. Jesus, we know, is the way, the truth, and the life. We know that Jesus is the Messiah. We know that he is the answer. Here in verse 2, the Holy Spirit clarifies God's position. If the law could make man perfect, complete, or finished, they would not have needed to keep offering sacrifices year after year, atonement, day of atonement after day of atonement. We know that Jesus Christ is the complete sacrifice. Now, here is where we, the Gentile nation, 
need to come to grips. Have we received Christ? You see, there's two choices. The sacrifice has been already made for us 2,000 years ago. So I can either choose to accept that sacrifice or I can choose to reject. And there are those that say, well, I'm not ready. Well, by saying you're not ready or I'm, I'm not sure yet, you've chosen to reject. And so that time has to come to pass. There's a passage of Scripture that's always baffled my mind. If you're taking notes, Matthew chapter 7. Go through that chapter. Jesus says some radical scripture. He says, not all that say, Lord, Lord, are going to enter the kingdom of God. That shows me that there are many that go to church. There were many that went to temple and, you know, they would just do the animal sacrifice. There was people that, well, mom and dad are going, let's go to church. Well, I go to church because it makes me feel good. I go to church because it's Sunday morning, right? I mean, it is the American way. But have I come to saving grace? And if I just come to church, I'm, I'm here to warm the pew. I'm here to warm the seat, whatever it might be. But I must come to the cross. If not, that consciousness of sin, it's still there. That guilt is still there. And I remember the years that I carried that guilt. Uh, you remember those years. And it's t until we come to the cross fully, open heart, Lord, here am I. Take me as I am, that song that we sing. We are all sinners needing a Savior. And so the Hebrew Christians needed to understand this. What about us this morning? Look at verse 3. We're going to continue. But in those sacrifices, the animal sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year. Every time you made an animal sacrifice, you did fill that place of forgiveness. Then it would remind you of your own sin nature. It's beautiful to know once you come to the cross, the Bible teaches us, we've been studying this in the book of Hebrews, once I come to the cross, Jesus forgives me, Jesus forgives you. Listen to this now past, present, and future. He dies for me 2,000 years ago. I'm not even part of the equation yet, but Jesus had already died for me. He already had died for you. And he takes my sins, the Bible says, and he casts them into the sea. And we are forgiven, church. And basically, the slate is clean. Oh, I'm born with Adamic sin. You're born with Adamic sin. We come into this world with the sin of Adam. When, once we come to the cross, it's nailed at the cross, if you can use the pun. God takes our sins and just places them on the cross. I don't have to go on the cross. He goes on the cross for me. The complete sacrifice, Jesus Christ. Now, verse 4 brings it all together. Still talking about the animal sacrifices. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. In verse 3, because it was not possible with the blood of bulls and goats, verse 3 already gives us that position. Year after year after year. In fact, after that escape goat would take off with the sins of the nation, you were anticipating well, when is the day of Yom Kippur again? 
When is the Day of Atonement again? And you're already looking for next year. But imagine you come to the cross and you leave your sins there. King David struggled with this himself. I want you to turn to a passage because it just sets all of this up. Go to Psalm 51. You see, in the time of the Old Testament, Christ had not yet died. But yet, they were so ritualistic to go to the temple. They were so geared, let's take the animal sacrifice. I can only afford a turtle dove. We can take that. If I had a big family and I had the means, I would take a bull. But the animal sacrifice. Now, let me set up Psalm 51. It is called the Psalm of Repentance. We're going to go through the first five verses. But here's King David, a man of God, yet a man of sin. David was on his rooftop one evening, one afternoon, and this is where everything took place. You would go up into the rooftops because of the heat of the day and such, and uh, it, it was like their patio area, for our understanding. He sees Bathsheba, and she's bathing. And obviously, David sees that she's a beautiful woman, and, and David's the king. He sends for her. She comes. David goes in unto her. She becomes pregnant with child. Then David tries to cover his sin. He gets Uriah, her husband, sends him to the hottest part of the war that was going on at the time. In fact, it was several times. And Uriah was obedient until finally he succumbed in battle and he died. And David thought, now I can marry Bathsheba to cover the sin. And David does. But you see, God wasn't finished with David. He sends a prophet by the name of Nathan, and he goes to David, and he gives David this story about a little ewe lamb. There was a family that had this pet lamb. And some other family members or some friends came to visit. And they took the baby lamb that was a pet for the family, and they killed it, and they cooked it, and they gave it to uh, their people that came to visit. David, what would you do with this man? David responded quickly, as a good king, I would kill that man. Little did David know, because the prophet said, David, you're that man. All of a sudden, David's sin was exposed. The guilt of the sin came to the surface. When David comes to Psalm 51, this is why he writes a psalm of repentance. He cries out to the Lord. The same as we do when we come to that place of recognizing that my sin has been exposed and I need a Savior. Look at verse 1 now. Psalm 51, verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. David knew that forgiveness was only through God. He knew that he had did wrong, first of all, with Bathsheba, and then he knew that he did wrong by killing her husband, Uriah. Lord, forgive my sins. In verse 2, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. We know that the animal sacrifices washed his sins away. But it was only temporal. It was only a covering. We use that Hebrew word, uh, kofar. 
for I know, look at verse 3, I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. You know, conviction is one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit. That's what we've been sharing on Wednesday nights. David was convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit, even in the Old Testament. He knew what he did was wrong, and now the Spirit of God has been speaking to him. My sin was always before me. Look at verse 4. Against you, David recognizes the sin that he committed adultery with Bathsheba, and then he killed Uriah, her husband. But he says, against you, God, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, and so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. David acknowledged the only one that could judge him was God, and the only one that could forgive him was God. And we conclude in verse 5, surely. I was sinful at birth. He was born with Adamic sin, just like us. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. In Psalm 51, David comes to that place, acknowledging, knowing that he was a sinful man. This is why the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart, because David was a man of repentance. He didn't just go to the temple and, and bring the animal sacrifice. David meant business when it came to his sin nature. Now, let's take it further. Uh, go up with me to Psalm 51, verse 16 now. For you do not desire sacrifices, or I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The Jews were quick to take their animal sacrifice uh, to the temple, to take an animal sacrifice to the priest to be offered. It became a ritual, a rite, a custom, a tradition. I, this is something that I do. And maybe some of us, you know, I get into my sin nature, I get into that sin, and then I say, i got to get to church. And that's good. But we need to leave that sin once and for all. Look at verse 17, Psalm 51. God desires... The sacrifice of a broken spirit and a contrite heart. These God will not despise. Yes, bring in your animal sacrifices. But what God wants is a broken heart. Lord, I have sinned. Lord, be merciful to me. I am a sinner. And so David came to grips with that when Nathan the prophet said, David, you're that man. I want you to think right now, when that time you finally came uh, to saving grace. Maybe it was weeks, months, or maybe it was even years. It took me three years to come to the cross. I fought it tooth and nail. But once I acknowledged that I was a sinner, it, it was like they say, a weight was taken off of my chest. Like that monkey that's on your back was finally, you know, gone. David had come to that place. Now, what's going on in the nation of Israel at this time? Isaiah came against that. I want you to mark this down and take it home with you. Study it. I want you to study Isaiah chapter 1. Let me set this up now. In the time of Israel, it was a divided nation. You had Israel that were 10 tribes. They were called the Northern Kingdom. Isaiah came to preach uh, to the other half, which was called Judah. There was two tribes. They were called the southern kingdom. And they had taken uh, the rituals, the rites, the custom, the tradition. Let's just take the animal sacrifices. 
Now, I want you to listen to this. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. I want you to go through the whole chapter, but verses 11 and 12. God said, to what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices? To me, saith the Lord. I have had enough of your burnt offerings or of ram offerings, fatted calf offerings, the blood of bulls and goats and lambs. I do not delight in them. It became a ritual, a rite. There was no broken heart as David was broken. The Bible says that he had, his heart was crushed because of his sin nature. Sin should do that to us. We should despise sin. And so here's the nation of Israel. They were so quick. Well, let's just go to temple. And even the Gentiles today, well, let's just go to church. And that's good, but let's take care of the sin. Or else we just come in and make the ritual and bring more animal sacrifices. Or I just come uh, to church on Sunday and then, you know, go back and do my sin. And then I'll repeat the performance and I'll be back next week. Somewhere, somehow, you're going to have to detest and, and hate that sin and say, Lord, no more. And yet we're going to falter. But when we come to the cross, I'm under saving grace. Oh, unmerited favor. I deserve judgment, but God gives me his grace. David came to that place. And here's the Old Testament. You see, how did the Old Testament saints come uh, to saving grace? They came to God the same that we come in the New Testament. They came to God by faith. Abraham believed God by faith. We're going to get to Hebrews chapter 11. It's called the faith chapter. The heroes of faith. But church, we all need that faith. Faith to recognize who God is. Faith to recognize that here in the New Testament, God has provided the one sacrifice, the complete sacrifice, which is Christ. I'll tell you, when I came to grips with that years ago, it meant a whole difference. Because now it's just not, let's go to church like I did every Sunday or every other Sunday. Or uh, for a time there, uh, I would only go to church on Easter and Christmas. Remember some of you? We all did that. But we have to come to grips that I need a Savior. King David knew that his sin was exposed you see, as Nathan the prophet exposed the sin, when we read the scriptures, when we come in and hear a message from God, our sin is exposed. And we have to take it, listen, to the cross. Now, let's go back to our text. And we're going to pick it up now in verse 5. We've dealt with the animal sacrifices again. And now the writer of Hebrews, which I believe is Paul the apostle, if not, it's the Holy Spirit, he takes us back. To the Old Testament, Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8. But let me set up what's going on now as we're going to read. Because it's taken from the Septuagint. The author of Hebrews quotes from Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8. Using the Greek Septuagint, which is the Old Testament Hebrew translated into the Greek. It was the common language at the time. It was done by 70 Hebrew scholars, and they turned the Old Testament into Koine Greek, which was the common language at the time. Now, you have to understand something. The children of Israel were in captivity in Babylon for 70 years. 
And in that 70-year span, they basically had lost their Hebrew language. Alexander the Great had conquered the world at the time, and the common language was Greek. And so they took the Old Testament and they translated it into the Greek, which was the Hebrew into the Koine Greek. And they understood it better. Now, I want, I want to read this to you. I want you to listen to it. This is Psalm 40, verses 6, 7, and 8. And then you're going to see it translates a little bit different because it was the Septuagint. In Psalm 40, verse 6, sacrifice and offerings you did not desire. Here's a different text. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering uh, you did not require. Then I said, Behold, I come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is written in my heart. In the Old Testament, the word was written in our hearts. In the New Testament, the Bible says that we're walking epistles. I place God's word in my heart. Now, I want you to see the difference as we're going to begin here in verse 5, and then he's going to pick up Psalm 40 in verse 6. But verse 5 says, therefore. When you see the word therefore, or you see the, the word wherefore, it's speaking about what we've been studying concerning the animal sacrifices, concerning the law. So he says, therefore, when he came into the world, who came into the world? Christ. He said, sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. The body that God the Father prepared was his son, his only begotten son, the Bible says. And so here's the Holy Spirit bringing us back to all the references of the Old Testament that we've been drawing from. The law, remember, was pointing to the New Testament, which is Jesus Christ. But here in verse 5, he speaks of Jesus Christ in his incarnation. The doctrine of the incarnation, that Jesus was 100% God, 100% man. Jesus took on a body. He identifies with us, but he was not sinful like us. And he dies on the cross to give us life. The doctrine of the incarnation. To really understand this, you would have to go back uh, to the Gospel of John chapter 1. Study that this evening. God came into the world as man. And here's the words. This would, I believe there's, here in Psalm 40, we're looking at a conversation that God the Son is having with His heavenly Father. And basically he says, animal sacrifices... And the grain offerings you did not desire. This was the picture of the true sacrifice to come. God the Father prepared a body for his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, the incarnation. He was to die on the cross. Now, let me give you this verse. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14. And the word, and you'll see it in, the, in your passages, the word, the W is capitalized. The word in the Greek is logos, and the word, which is Jesus Christ, was made flesh, and he dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Remember when Philip said, Jesus, show us uh, the Father, and it will be sufficient to us. Jesus responded, Philip, 
if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And then he takes it a step further. My Father and I, we are one. Jesus declared deity. Tells us in Colossians chapter 2 that in the Godhead bodily, we see Christ. We believe in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But in the Godhead bodily, it is Jesus Christ. Philip, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. My Father and I, we are one. And the Word, which is the Logos, which is Christ, He became flesh. He became one of us to identify with us. Now He gets right into Psalm 40. Watch this. Look at verse 6. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. God the Father was not delighted in the Old Testament sacrifices for sin because it only covered, again, uh, the Old Testament, the law, it was good, but man could not fulfill it. Man failed miserably. The Old Testament law was to point to the cross. Now Messiah has come, but the Jew in a whole had rejected Messiah. You see, God the Father knew as well as Jesus knew that the animal sacrifices only covered the sin. It was only temporal, if you may. Now, animal blood was temporal, as mentioned previously in the book of Hebrews. It only covered the sin. And again, it was a picture, a shadow of the complete sacrifice that was to come. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, would die on the cross for all mankind. Now, we just read Psalm 40, and in verse 6, these words are added. The Septuagint did not bring it. My ears, God has opened. You see, I come this morning, and I see the Word of God with my eyes, and I hear the Word of God with my ears. Now, I am to open my heart and to receive that Word. David had a broken and a contrite heart because the word of God penetrated his heart from the message that was given by Nathan the prophet. We must respond to the word of God. And so just a, a beautiful picture here. Uh, animal sacrifices were all temporal. It could only cover, it was only for a season, as we mentioned earlier, you would have to wait for the next year and then the next year and then the next year. Now, let me give you just a little bit of homework. In Genesis chapter 3, man falls from grace. And then they recognize that they're naked. In Genesis 3, 7, it tells us that they recognize their nakedness because of their sin nature, and they sewed fig leaves to cover their body. The guilt of sin was already there. But then we read on in Genesis 3, 21, God made them coats of skins, the first animal sacrifice the first animal sacrifice was given by God the Father himself but it was only temporal church it was only seasonal it was to point us to the complete sacrifice which is Christ now let's go back to our text look at verse 7 now then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me. This is Christ. To do your will, O God. I want you to underline that. 
when I come to Bible study, when I come to church, when I read, when you read, do we desire to do his will? Or do I just hear it and I say, well, that's Pastor Bob teaching. Well, that's for, you know, other people in the congregation. I mean, we just shared that, you know, I hear with my ears. So basically, I should see the scriptures, listen, with spiritual eyes. I should hear the scripture with spiritual ears. And I should discern the scriptures with a spiritual heart, knowing that I need a Savior. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume, listen, uh, of the book. It is written of me, speaking of Christ, to do your will, O God. This is still the conversation, I believe, between the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and his heavenly Father. Jesus says, I came in the volume of the book. He's speaking about the Old Testament book from Genesis to Malachi. And it's been searched and researched that there are over 300 fulfilled, listen, prophecies in the Old Testament pertaining to Jesus Christ. Listen, his birth, his death, or his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection. And then, listen, there are over 300 prophecies pertaining to Jesus' second coming. It's still future. Notice that Jesus desires to fulfill the will of his Father. We know that Jesus, before his death on the cross, we know that he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. We know in the Gospels that he prays three times, take this cup of death away. But Jesus recognized that there was no other way, that he had to die on the cross. In Luke chapter 22, verse 42, let me read it to you. Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Do we seek the will of the Father? The scriptures declare what God desires from each one of us. There's a passage of scripture in the Old Testament that to this day, 30 plus years later, it still challenges me. Because I desire to obey God. I believe you desire to obey God. But there are those times that we're going to uh, fail miserably. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 15, uh, verse 20. Now, we already shared that David failed, obviously. And he had to come to grips when Nathan the prophet exposed his sin. And so in Psalm 51, David cries out, Lord, I am a sinner. And Lord, I know it's not the animal sacrifices, but it's a broken and a contrite heart. A heart exposed to you, Lord. And so let me set up 1 Samuel chapter 15. King Saul is the king in Israel. At this point we come, King Saul's disobedient. Samuel the prophet comes, and he gives them the word of God, and he says, go to the Amalekites and to utterly destroy them. And we know that King Saul was disobedient. Watch what happens now. 1 Samuel 15, look at verse 20. And Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me, and I have brought back Agag, king of the Amalekites, but I have uh, utterly destroyed the Amalekites. 
Saul did not fully obey God. The Bible says that he brought back some of the choice sheep, and then he says it was for the sacrifice of God. But probably the biggest disappointment, he brought back King Agag, the king of the Amalekites. Now, I've studied this in the past, and in one of my old commentaries, they looked at King Agag as a type, listen, of a trophy. That he brought him back, kind of parading. Look, God, look what I brought you. A choice sheep, and then I brought you the king of the Amalekites. But that's not what God said. God said, go and destroy, utterly destroy, remove all. And he did not. Look at verse 21. But the people took of the plunder. He begins to blame the people. This is King Saul. But the people took of the plunder, the sheep, the oxen, and the best things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. King Saul was not only disobedient, but then he blames the people. <laughs> Remember Adam, men? When Adam also took of the fruit, he told God, the woman that you gave me, you know, we're quick to blame somebody else when it's my responsibility. And, and here's Saul. Now, verse 20, so Samuel, and I want you to mark this down in your Bible. So Samuel said, this is to King Saul, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than to sacrifice and to heed the fat of rams. And then he takes it farther for rebellion is the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is in, in iniquity as an idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. Radical statement. You see, Samuel had told Saul, go and destroy the Amalekites. This is what God tells you. He brought back choice sheep, and he said the people did it. And then he brought back King Agag when God said destroy. Now, we read on in the passage, and Samuel takes Saul's sword, and he literally hacks to death King Agag. But at that point, the kingdom was taken from King Saul. Disobedience. God cannot bless disobedience. If you obey me, he says, I will bless you. If you disobey me, I will curse you. And so here's the Old Testament. Uh, what about the New Testament? What does God desire from you? What does God desire from me? And that is obedience. And I want more than anything. I've been in the ministry long enough. I want to obey God. And I hate those times. I hate those days when I am disobedient. I know I am. We need to look at the scriptures and obey what God has to say. David came to that place. This is why he reads. He writes, that is, Psalm 51. And now we see this beautiful position here, church. It's not the animal sacrifices. Those were a picture, uh, those were a shadow. It was an outline of what was to come, the better sacrifice, or the only sacrifice, which is Christ. That's what the whole book of Hebrews is all about. He's our complete high priest. He's our complete uh, sacrifice, and we're going to see at the conclusion of the me message this morning, once and for all, Jesus does not die every Sunday or every Sabbath. 
He died once and for all to give us life, life eternal. Now, let's go back to our text. Look at verse 8. Previously saying, and he goes back to the animal sacrifices. He says, sacrifice and offering, burnt offering and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. And again, as we mentioned earlier, year after year. I mean, day of atonement after day of atonement. It became a ritual, a rite, a custom, a tradition. Now, making reference back to verse 6, previously, Jesus said, God the Father was not delighted in the Old Testament sacrifices for sin because it only covered, it was temporal. The animal sacrifices were temporal. As mentioned, uh, again in verse 6, and throughout the book of Hebrews, it only covered the sin. And again, it was a picture, a shadow of the complete sacrifice that was to come. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, would die on the cross for all mankind. And again, church, once and for all. All this was done according to the law. It was pointing. There was nothing wrong with the law. If we followed the law, it took us to the cross. Now, the purpose of the law was to point them to the complete sacrifice, which is Jesus Christ. Uh, the purpose of the law, the complete sacrifice, is the Jewish, or it's Jesus Christ, excuse me. Jesus Christ, the Jewish Messiah, and the Gentile Messiah. Jesus died for Jew and Gentile. Now, we know that scripture. We've shared it in time past. In John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The universal call. Salvation is for Jew and Gentile. The Old Testament was a picture, was a shadow, was an outline. But it was to point to the cross. David came to grips with that. King Saul did not. How many people today just occupy the pew or the chair? There has to come to that place where we say, Lord, I'm done. I need to serve you, Lord. Look at verse 9 now. Go back to our text. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. Second time that he brings this up. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. Now watch what's taking place here in verse 9. Again, Jesus only desired to do the will of his heavenly Father. He takes away the first. In other words, the offerings, the sacrifices, the burnt offerings, and all the sacrifices for sin, which were prescribed uh, in the law. Now I want you to study. You're taking notes. Leviticus chapter 16, Exodus chapter 24. That's the law. All this was done that he would establish the second, the second covenant, the offering of the body of Jesus Christ for all. He, God the Father, takes away the first covenant that he may establish the second covenant. He takes away the first dispensation that he may establish the second dispensation. He takes away the law that he may establish, listen, the gospel that he may establish the gospel. What is the gospel? But it's the good news. Now take note. 
When Jesus did the will of his heavenly father, he did away with the first covenant and he established the second covenant by his death, his life, his resurrection and ascension into heaven. You see, there are those that if I could just obey the Ten Commandments, I, I agree with you, but we will fail miserably. The other day I was hearing a radio program. I was listening to the preacher teach, and he says, can you give me the Ten Commandments? And Pastor Bob, right? Oh, yeah, come on. And he says, challenge yourself. And so I did. I closed my Bible up. The radio program's over. I took out a piece of paper. And he says, he said before you, you take the little test, he says, you don't have to put them in order. I go, piece of cake. I know it, right? I could only get nine. And I was dumbfounded. And then I go, no, I coupled two of them together, right? And I failed on that one Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And I was so frustrated with myself. But you see, it proved to me you cannot do the Ten Commandments. Oh, they look beautiful when you put them on the wall and such. But this is why Jesus removed the first covenant by him dying on the cross, and he gives us this complete covenant, this last covenant, once and for all, one commandment. And that commandment is love. What put Jesus on the cross? Love. What kept Jesus on the cross? Love. Remember, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He doesn't want to die. He has the body of a man. He's all God. He's all man. He doesn't want to die. It's a hideous death. It's a painful death. But let not my will be done, but let your will be done. And that's why Jesus cried in victory, it is finished, as he looks up into the heaven. He died for the sins of mankind, past, present, and future. Now, mark this down. In the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus says, I give you this new commandment. This new commandment fulfills, listen, the Ten Commandments. Number one, we should love the Lord thy God with all our heart, all thy soul, everything that's within me, love God. But there in John 13, 34, this new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. Love. The word is agapeo, agape love. It's unconditional love what put jesus on the cross agape love what kept jesus on the cross agape love what caused jesus to rise again from the dead agape love and he calls us to receive his love on the cross and now i'm to dispense that love to others you see if i love the lord and i love you how can i covet my neighbor's wife or my neighbor's goods? How can I steal? How can I lie? How can I murder? I mean, go into your sin nature. If I truly love God, how can I have a strange God before him if I love God? I mean, it just brings it uh, to a perspective. And <laughs> they accuse Jesus of coming to destroy the law. Remember, you don't, 
your disciples don't wash their hands, you don't wash your hands. You're healing on the Sabbath. And I mean, the list went on and on. Turn to this passage, and we're going to finish in verse 10. Go to Matthew chapter 5 with me. And let's go to verse 17. But let me set up Matthew chapter 5. If you know your Bible, in, in, the, in the time of the Gospels, when you come to Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, it is called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is giving instructions how we are to be as believers. The Sermon on the Mount is beautiful. And he comes to this passage now. Now, I believe the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5, 6, and 7 in Matthew, it should be read at least once a month. And I mean, you, you learn what we're supposed to be as Christians. But in Matthew 5, look at verse 17. Do not think that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I have not come to destroy them, but to fulfill them. Jesus completes that. He didn't get rid of the Ten Commandments. He completed the Ten Commandments. He got rid of the first covenant, and he gave the second covenant. The covenant of love that was established at the cross. Jesus came, listen, to complete the law. Look at verse 18. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till it is all fulfilled. He's speaking about uh, the Hebrew grammar. And they were meticulous. The copyists of the law, I mean, they were so, you know, strict. And so Jesus says, I come to fulfill the law. Look at verse 19. Whosoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever does and teach them, teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And so what are we called to do? But to obey God, to obey his word. It's better than sacrifice. Then he concludes in verse 20. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, the religious leaders at the time, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, they sought themselves to be self-righteous. And so a lot of times we go to church and we think, well, I'm going to church and, you know, I hope God's, you know, content because I went to church. And in a sense, we become self-righteous. The Bible teaches that there is not one righteous, no, not one. I'm all, I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. We're all sinners needing a Savior. We're all sinners saved by grace. Unmerited favor. I deserve judgment, you deserve judgment. Now, I come to saving grace. I don't have righteousness, I don't have holiness. But because of Christ, he bestows righteousness on me, in me, and through me, and holiness in me and through me. It's only through Christ. That's why we recognize that we are all sinners in need of a Savior. Now let's go to verse 10. And he just brings it together. One sacrifice or many sacrifices. He says, by that will... We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. And I love this, underline that, once and for all. If we're truly born again of the Holy Spirit, 
if we're saved uh, through the precious blood of Jesus Christ, we have been now uh, sanctified. The word sanctification, we have been set apart for God. Because the offering of the body of Jesus Christ as our personal sacrifice, once and for all, he died to give us life, life eternal. Have I accepted the death of the Messiah, Jesus Christ? I have to ask that question. You have to ask that question. Maybe you're here this morning, and you're just like the Jews that would take their offering to the temple, you know, week after week, year after year. Or we're like the Gentiles that go to church, I mean, Sunday after Sunday. I mean, it's the American thing to do. But have we come to the cross? Have we come uh, to saving grace? Have I accepted this complete sacrifice once and for all? Now, you know this verse. We've shared it many times. In the book of Romans in chapter 10, I want to read verses 12 and 13. Paul says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. Salvation to the Jew first. That's what the scriptures teach. But there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. We must come to the cross. The Jews would boast, we are of Abraham's seed. Yeah, but do you know the Messiah? Do you know the Messiah that came from the tribe of Judah? Do you know the Messiah that died for your sins? You see, uh, the Orthodox Jew is still waiting for Messiah today. And in fact, they're waiting for their new temple to be rebuilt even today. But have we accepted? Now, listen to verse 13, Romans 10, 13. For whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus died for all mankind. Jesus died for Jew and Gentile. And here's the crux of it all. All we have to do is ask. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord, Lord, it's me. I am a sinner in need of a Savior. Or else I just come to church Sunday after Sunday. Or I become ritualistic like the Jew and I would come back to temple. You see, the temple was everything. And sometimes in the church today, just coming to church is, well, I mean, I've done my part. No, have you received Christ? And that's where we're going to continue to draw from this book of Hebrews. It's going to get more and more intense because he's coming to the conclusion of the letter. Have we accepted the Messiah, Jesus Christ? I'm going to give that opportunity. There was a gentleman in our first service, and, you know, he said, I've been coming to church for a long time, this church, other churches, but today I believe I've made that commitment. I said, you know what? Praise God. Because the Bible says today is the day of our salvation. And so let's stand. We're going to end with a word of prayer. And if the Holy Spirit has spoken to you, you need to respond. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity of prayer. I thank you, Lord, that we know that the Holy Spirit is the only one that can convict. We know that the Holy Spirit convicts me of my sins. And I respond because I, I've heard with spiritual ears now. And I discern with 
my spiritual heart now that I need a Savior. And this morning, if you've not come to saving grace, the only one that knows that is you and the Lord. We're not here to embarrass anybody. But with every eye closed, every head bowed, I want to give you that opportunity. Maybe you're here. Maybe you're visiting. Maybe you're passing through. Maybe somebody asked you to come. Or whatever it might be. Maybe you've been to church all your life. But you need to ask that question. Have I accepted this beautiful sacrifice once and for all? If that's you this morning, you'd like to receive Christ right there where you're at, I will pray for you. I'm not going to ask you to come up. But if you need Christ this morning, acknowledge by raising your hand, and I will say a simple prayer of faith with you. Anybody would like to receive Christ this morning, please raise your hand. Don't leave here without Jesus. If that's you, let the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Quickly raise your hand. Then if we're all Christian, praise God. What a blessing. We've come to the cross. Then let's be obedient to what he has to say to us. Father, we are so grateful for your grace, your love, your mercy. Lord, let us not become ritualistic where we would go back to the temple, you know, Saturday after Saturday. The day of Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, over and over. Or if we go to the Gentile church. Lord, let us not just be, uh, you know, a nominal Christian. But Lord, let us truly come to the cross. And now to obey you, Lord. And to walk by your statutes. The Bible says you've written your word on our hearts. And so, Father... Bless your people here this morning. Lord, bless and anoint each and every one of us. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us into all truth. And Lord, we ask that you would bless the offerings this morning. Lord, as you've given to us, we give back a portion. Bless the offerings. Lord, bless Klein Park as it's coming upon us in about 19 days. Lord, bless tonight as Somebody Loves You Crusade is going to be in Las Vegas with Pastor Rolf. Lord, pour out your spirit. As many came last night to Saving Grace in the exit concert, let tonight, as Somebody Loves You Crusade, Lord, speak to the adults. Speak to the young people. Lord, as you've spoken to us here this morning, Father, bless and anoint each and every one. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.